Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 he is the managing partner of the Resolu- the resolute group he is the president at data orbital consulting and he walks us through uh issues uh having to do uh with the election and things that will affect it so we are delighted to have you george as always thank you for joining us thanks for having me seth you betcha you betcha for being on it's a funny thing, you know, I guess going back to, I want to say, the Republican convention where Pat was at 1992, and was it 1992, it was known as the culture war speech, and it seems as if every political consultant since then in the Republican Party was telling candidates, at least on the national stage, don't talk like that. Stay away from the cultural issues. And I've had a chance to go back and read that speech any number of times, and it would sound perfectly apt and reasonable uh, today. Um, but this issue of cultural issues that Republicans sometimes seem to be allergic to seem to be – did a monologue on this an hour ago – seem to be the kinds of things that actually most Americans, right or left, do in fact – care about. And I'm wondering, A, how prevalent that messaging is to candidates, stay away from cultural issues. B, you know, the comfort level candidates have with them, whether they're instructed by their counselors or not, uh, how, how comfortable they are with them. And C, do we not err? Do we not concede way too much by dispensing with them. I just wonder what your thoughts on all this is. You're looking at the school fights. You're looking at the gender fights. You're looking at the race fights. What's your thought on this, George? Yeah, this is uh, this is a topic that is uh, very near and dear to my heart uh, and candidly is the reason behind, I would say, 80 percent of the impetus that the Resolute Group was formed. So oh, my great. My background data, my background great. political consulting. Now you tell and me. We formed the Resol- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we formed the Resolute Group uh, because we were so passionate about these cultural issues, and we were so frustrated at two things. One, as uh, how some of our like-minded allies were speaking about the cultural issues, and two, equally, and if not candidly, oftentimes more so, at how dismissed uh, I felt, we felt, the broader we, how dismissive I think that large parts of the right was for cultural issues. And obviously coming off the heels of the 2016 election, and I think something that awoke, uh, not because of, I think was really inflamed by uh, uh, President Trump, the cultural issues started becoming front and center. And for me, I speak cultural broadly as the, the social issues, the traditionally social conservative issues of life and religious freedom, as well as some of these new just parents' rights and cancel culture and things like that. The broader bucket is so critical and so important. And I will say there are a significant, and we're obviously going to unpack, there are a significant number of consultants, and I see it every day, uh, that one, either convince their clients not to talk about these cultural issues, or two, convince them actually to lean away and to pretend like they don't exist or to candidly succumb to the wokeness around them. Yeah, to concede to it, right? To concede the fight altogether. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's a, it's a big problem. And like I said, it's something that 
you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to unpacking today because it's a big deal. And I'll tell you, it's never been more pointed than in the last, I would say, 18 months. You know, a lot of it because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I know that you touched on that in, in your monologue. Mm-hmm. And, and look, COVID awoke a lot of stuff, but parents are just angry, right, Seth? I mean, mm-hmm. I've had two little kids. Parents are angry because they don't want to see ground to anyone when it comes to raising their kids. And definitely not people that disagree with them vehemently. Yeah, well, let, yeah, I I think that's right, George. I think that analysis is is right. Let's unpack it a little bit because um, when you think about the times we have won at the national level, and maybe you can't deduce everything from presidential races, but they're the most easy for me to look at. When you look at at the cases where we win, Ronald Reagan twice, uh, George W. Bush twice, Donald Trump. One, one and a half, I don't know, two, depending on how you look at it. But even I mentioned George W. Bush, people forget how much on in 2000 he was campaigning on cultural issues, welfare reform. Uh, there was the, the charitable choice movement of, you know, moving a lot of social services into, you know, more uh, religious oriented uh, and localized uh, dispensaries and, and distribution. It seems like when we go there, that's when we win, which I can only conclude to mean is that's what people want. That's what's important to them. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And look, the, the, the ironic thing is we, we treated in the Republican Party for, you know, I don't know, a decade to the, the fact of like we almost were we viewed voters as two people. It's like, well, this voter is an economic voter and there's no other part of their brain. And this right. voter is a life voter. There's no other part of their brain. And, and why would someone who wants low taxes not also care about these other things? They, they oftentimes have kids like the rest. I mean, it's like it's, it was a very weird kind of um, dispersal between the mind. And in the last five years, the comfort level and sometimes the forced, <laughs> the forcedness, the movement and the direction of the party has combined cultural and economic issues in a massive way. And you're seeing interesting responses from the business community in the state across the country. And I will say we're very blessed here in Arizona. Our business community tends not to wade as much into um, into wokeness as uh, they have with Disney in Florida or with the NCAA in Indiana and all kinds of other states. And it's a problem because these businesses are buying into one side of the narrative and a good percentage of their shoppers, oftentimes on a lot of issues, the majority of their of their shoppers, the people that consume their product, disagree with them. And they're making a big gamble, but there's, they have no choice but to but to go all in. And so culture issues are a big deal in both parties now. And candidly, you know, conservatives are going to win that war because public opinion says so on, on the lion's share of those issues. We Good. know that because people are tracking it. Good. Conservatives will win it to the degree that they campaign on it and talk about it and are not afraid yeah, of it. Exactly. One of the exactly. one of my theses. Uh, this may this may be a harder thing to unravel, but one of my theses is that it's actually not that hard to do. I mean, we I think a lot of the reticence, aside from you know the consultancy uh, world that 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 abjures these things, a lot of the reticence it seems is you know they have made us to feel afraid to raise these issues. Of course, there's the cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's the shaming, and who wants to be on the side that's against uh, the NBA, the NFL, Hollywood, and the New York Times, right? There is, the, there, there is a natural reticence to speak up against those cultural elites. But I think what we have to communicate, I think we figured it out, but I think what we have to communicate is that while cultural elites 
may seem to speak for America, they are not the majority of Americans. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it, as many of your listeners have, you know, that quiz that the New York Times says to see how in the bubble or out of the bubble that you are. Oh, yeah. The majority of people in both parties that make decisions are in bubble. Mm -hmm. There's no conception of what the average American believes, even if they came from average America. Mm -hmm. uh, They don't. Right. I've got I'm an immigrant background. I was born overseas in Lebanon. My family, we were immensely blessed to come here in in the mid 90s. My parents sacrificed a lot to get us here. Um, And and even now I am creeping in just by nature of the last 10, 12 years of career. I'm creeping into the bubble. And yet I go out of my way and I'm intentional about keeping myself out and to really understand what the average person thinks. And I really challenge myself in uh, in, in 2017 and 18, after I, like many other people, were blindsided as to what happened in 2016, and I started to try to piece some things together, and honestly, I'm starting to believe that it's not that individuals want to be, um, you know, it's not like there's you know a bunch of stupid people in consultancy or whatever. There's an intentional disregard for what happened, I think, because it makes them uncomfortable and or they just disagree, but they were comfortable kind of all saying, oh, yeah, we're kumbaya Republicans, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to name names, sure. but we know the whole sleuth sure. of sure. leaders, quote-unquote, in the quote-unquote Republican Party that left shortly after 2016 that have now since endorsed Democrats up and down the ticket that have nothing to do with, by the way, Donald Trump yeah. <laughs> or or Donald Trump's opponent. They are completely unrelated cases, and they just showed their true colors yeah. because the cultural issues, they were, never, they were never alongside. They were sort of nominal economic capitalists, and then there was a shift, and they're like, oh, whoa, I don't like this, and I'm going to go away. And... And there's a lot of people that just aren't willing to, you know, they weren't willing to accept that. And the voters are, though. And like you said, the majority of Americans believe biological men shouldn't compete with, with, with women. And I'll tell you, definitely a majority of Arizonans believe that. Okay. And yet you would think by when these bills go through the legislature mm-hmm. and there's one right now on the governor's desk to sign that would that prohibit just that in Arizona, it would prohibit biological men from competing against women, you would think that. The, the, the world was ending, and that's just not true. 60% of Arizonans agree that that should not be the case. Let me pick up with you on that on the next segment. I have to go to a quick break, but that's a fascinating point. I think it's our job in part to relate to the vast swath of Americans, or in this case Arizonans, that just because it's the Arizona Republic and just because it's ESPN and Disney – doesn't mean it's everyone else, though that does come with an important stamp of, um, shall we say, peremptory closing of discussion. I mean, it is hard to go up against the high culture. I get it. Or the elite culture. I get it. Who wants to be thought of as stupid? Who wants to be denounced as a Yahoo? We'll pick it up when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. George Kaloff is our guest. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president of Data Orbital Consulting. We're talking about cultural issues and elections. One of the interesting things to me, George, about this is where these cultural battles are playing out the most right now, it seems to me, tend to be um, in, in the courts and in the schools. They are um, – yeah. you, you, you saw a lot of it this week. We had to be reminded of how important selecting the president is because of their ability to, uh, to appoint the cor- uh, judges to federal courts and justices to the Supreme Court. And, of course, the schools that uh, we've, we've all been uh, watching have, have some level of resistance from parental rights, whether it was in San Francisco to a lesser degree or in Virginia to a much greater degree. 
And what's interesting to me about those two venues where these fights are taking place is they're not exactly venues that lend themselves to politics, to elections. Not, I mean the judiciary is a step removed and you and I have probably uh, gotten a lot of gray hair over the years trying to convince people how important the courts are when you vote for a president. And it's hard to remind – it's yeah. a difficult thing to remind them this is what you get if you choose poorly. You get people who don't want to define a biological woman, right? This is what happens. And and so one thing I've been delighted to see is the rise of parents running for school boards and trying to take the schools back. But it's a lot of – I mean there's a lot of a lot of unwinding to do and a lot of work to do. Um, but it seems that in some respects – your polling would better answer this question. It seems in, in some respects it's the women who want to do these battles on behalf of conservatism more than the men. The men are more afraid than the women a little bit it seems to me. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I, I don't disagree. I mean last night I had the, uh, the pleasure of speaking to a group of – 15 or 20 individuals that are running for school board and various, you know, kind of you know, various things in the K through 12 space, and the entire sort of moral moral of the talk was, uh, when we don't contend, uh, we lose, and this is why there's no surprise that we are where we are today when it comes to public schools across the country. We we stopped contending as, as conservatives, as people that believed in a certain sort of vision for the world, and we just sort of handed it over. And now there's a lot of moms candidly, 100%. Some men, yes, but a lot of moms, to your point, that are just saying enough. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines anymore. I'm not going to just take it lying down. There's a mom that's running for superintendent. I know she's been on this show, Sherry Sapir. Oh, yeah, she's my, she's my candidate. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and two years ago, she was like, you know what, what the heck's happening, right? I'm a mom. My kids' school's closed. I have to, you know, change a bunch of things, and, and that's what we're seeing across uh, we're seeing across the country. But again, as conservatives, we have to contend with these issues, we can't, you know, 80% of students are in public schools. Yes, I, I am a, I'm a massive fan of obviously educational freedom and being able to allow parents like me and others to send their kids where we see best fit for them. But we know that right now, 80% of parents are making the choice or in a lot of instances, they don't have the choice. But right. nonetheless, 80% of children are in public schools. And yet we have seeded that ground. And now we're seeing people contend for it. And uh, and and look, there's, it's going to be a consequential year this year across the country, and in Arizona, no less. Scottsdale, the epicenter of it, when it comes to school board races. Yeah, I, that's right. Tell me, you were you were also mentioning you had an interesting poll. What was your polling? I think you said something around sixty percent right before the break. You were looking at some polling. You yeah, were, yeah. So so a couple of yeah, a couple of things. So so close to two thirds, sixty percent of voters believe uh, in Arizona believe the biological men shouldn't. Uh, be competing in women uh, sports leagues, right? And, and another 60 to 65 percent believe that parents should be able to dictate what their children learn. Uh, the amazing thing, though, and the candidly the depressing thing for people like us is that 30 percent of parents believe that, uh, sorry, 30 percent uh, of voters believe that it shouldn't be parents; it actually should be education, uh, your bureaucrats and, and teachers that dictate what our kids learn. So that was a very depressing statistic to uh, to see. Uh, as well as 65, 70% of parents that believe that the curriculum should be transparent. It's a massive academic transparency bill that's making its way through the legislature that simply, and again, shocker, right, Seth, that 
uh, we need to post curriculum online so that parents should be able to see what is being taught to their kids. Yeah, and right. They hate the light of day. This is my point. <laughs> they try and cru- they try and do what they do in dark. They really do because I think they know it. They themselves know it wouldn't sell very well with the American people if it were in light. So you know, a lot of the stuff that takes place in our schools does happen behind the curtain. I mean, not a lot of conservatives and Republicans were involved in school board activities. They just weren't uh, until yeah. recently. Didn't even know that. They existed or that's how curriculum got adopted, probably. Um, 100%. Right? And so as we wake up to that, it's good to know where those numbers are, but it also shows you why the Democrats fight so hard to push a cancel culture or, or a shaming culture. You know, I'm even hearing from people on our side, putatively on our side, George, I kind of like Ron DeSantis, but, you know, maybe it's too much, to which I'm saying, you know what? No. You know, he is all accelerator, no break. And you know what? You and I look for this stuff. We look for fumbles. We look for foibles. We look for missteps in political leaders who, you know, yeah. touch third rails. He's made none. He has made yeah, none. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and look, and anyone that's saying, oh, my God, DeSantis is too intense. Yeah. Definitely is not reading the electorate of today, Good. especially in the Republican Party. And I'll say also to go back quickly to that point about doing things in the dark. Why do you think that? Right. I know you know this. Why do we think that the left has gone to the courts? Right. Because, right. you know, in some states, it's, it's the different. But you don't right. elect Supreme Court justices. You don't elect federal judges. Right. Yeah, sure. You elect the, the individual that nominates them. But there's a degree of separation yep. there. And then once they're nominated and appointed, you can't undo it. Right. Until they decide to get off. And in states like Arizona, none of our judges are elected. We have retention elections, which are impossible, you know, so judges do whatever they want. Look mm-hmm. at the judge recently that dragged on the, the the 208 fight that we talked about a number of weeks ago, you know, dragged it on for as long as he, literally as long as he could. That was, You know, as long as the court allowed him to, he waited the full 60 days. And so it's a perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I, you're picking up what I'm putting down. We agree on this. Yeah. The opinion. Yeah. But. You know, they have majority opinion, quote unquote, in the courts because the courts oftentimes aren't about actual uh, legal philosophy. Uh, it's about judicial activism and it's about judicial uh, legislators. Yeah, no, it's it re- it's a reengineering of social society through, um, you know, some kind of new and invented, um, um, you know, branch of government that was not what the third article of the Constitution envisioned. It was never supposed to be a super legislature. It was never supposed to uh, replace its views with the people's views so long as it didn't violate uh, a constitutional uh, guarantee or precept, right? So that is where they work. And I think, as I say, you know, you speak up common sense. There's nothing Ron DeSantis has said that, you know, requires a dictionary or sounds like William F. Buckley or George Will. He's just speaking common sense. Right. And I think yeah. I think that is what's hurting. Excuse me. That's what's bothering the left the most. I mean, you look at Josh Hawley for a second. They went after him hammer and tongs, but no one has shown that he said anything wrong. No one has shown that he said anything wrong so much so that, you know, when he was questioning Judge uh, Brown Jackson, I thought it was curious that a lot of the television networks that were covering the hearings went to regular programming and just took their cameras off that section. They want secrecy is my point. They want secrecy, the left. They do. They have to hide our issues. If they don't hide – sorry, our beliefs. If they don't hide our beliefs, they know they lose. They can't compete on a fair playing ground. Otherwise, they won't won't prevail. George Kaloff, that was fantastic. Thank you. President of Data Orbital Consulting, managing partner of the Resolute Group. Much appreciated, George. Godspeed. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Seth. You as well. You betcha.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, brought to you in part by our friends at the Midas Gold Group. Gold, as you know, has been used as money for thousands of years, and it still remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need pushy commission salespeople to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably all you you probably already want it. All you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. In comes the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, proud supporters of this show and the America First Agenda. It's who I use. It's who Seb Gorka uses. It's who thousands of you use. They are great folks. I own precious metals that I got from the Midas Gold Group. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or give them a call at 480-360-3000. Love those guys. Great people. And I love uh, I love it when we support our sponsors because you know they why they sponsor this show because they're supporting you. That's why your your ability to communicate with us, your ability to communicate with your fellow Arizonans and Americans, and the beliefs that you have. All right, on this social and economic business culture conf culture war business that I was just talking with George Kaloff about, another angle you see this coming. Uh, from is the uh, the mantra that makes me wretch every time I hear it, the mantra that, you know, I'm a Reagan Republican, I'm a Goldwater Republican, they never messed with that kind of stuff, fundamentally false, just fundamentally false. Uh, I remind people, uh, in Ronald Reagan's cabinet were naughty, not just cultural warriors at the cabinet level, uh, like uh, you know, like your William Bennett's and your Gene Kirkpatrick's, but at the at the at the at the staffing level, Laura Ingram, Dinesh D'Souza, Gary Bauer was in charge of his domestic policy council. Gary Bauer, who founded the Family Research Council, Mark Levin at his Justice Department, and then there's this thing that a lot of people tend to forget, which is, as far as I know, there's only one president who ever wrote a book while in office. That one president is Ronald Reagan. That book was about abortion. Abortion in the Conscience of a Nation is what it was called. And that was written by Ronald Reagan. Barry Goldwater. What do you think he was talking about when he was talking about extremism and the defense of liberty is no vice and moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue? Do you think he was talking about Vietnam? He was not. He was not. You can read it in the history books. You can read the speech. He was talking about the kinds of Republicans you and I are talking about the kinds that just wanted to manage the levers of government a little bit more responsibly but didn't want to upset very many apple carts. They were known as the East Coasters. They were known as the Rockefeller Republicans. They were known as the Romney Republicans. Yes, even then, George Romney, governor of Michigan, who uh, bragged about walking out of the Goldwater speech. I think it's apocryphal, but he bragged about doing so. Yeah, the apple didn't far, fall too far from the tree. But, you know, not just that speech. The thing that put Goldwater on the map was his 1961 book, The Conscience of a Conservative. Have people read The Conscience of a Conservative in forever? I don't know, but you don't have to read too far because it's in his very first chapter. He goes into all of this. I'll just quote directly, conservatism is not an economic theory, though it has economic implications. The shoe is precisely on the other foot. It is socialism that subordinates all other consideration 
to man's material well-being. It is conservatism that puts material things in their proper place, that has a structured view of the human being and of human society in which economics plays only a subsidiary role. He goes further. The root differences between the conservatives and the liberals of today is that conservatives take account of the whole man while the liberals tend to look only at the material side of man's nature. The conservative believes that man is in part an economic and animal creature but that he is also – hold on to your hats, folks – a spiritual creature with spiritual needs and spiritual desires. What is more – These needs and desires reflect the superior side of man's nature and thus take precedence over his economic wants. I'll do more with you when we come back. But for those who say I'm Goldwater and Reagan conservatives, good. Then you're Ron DeSantis conservatives too. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which brought to you by Balance of Nature. They're fruits and veggies designed to maintain, protect your health while boosting your immunity the natural way. A blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables is what you get with just one daily dose. Someone asks you if you ate any fruit today or ate any vegetables, and if you feel badly about saying no, you didn't or not enough, you would never have to say that with Balance of Nature. You just take it once a day. There are no additives. It is gluten-free. It is 100% whole food, not 99 and 44 one-hundredths, not 99.9%, 100%. No extracts or synthetics. All you get our tomatoes, papayas, grapes, wild blueberries, and a lot more like those. And all you get on the veggie side is broccoli, green cabbage, zucchini, red cabbage, soybeans, cayenne pepper, wheatgrass, and a whole lot more. That's it. Just natural fruits and veggies. Your daily dose of balance of nature will keep you healthy and boost your immunity as it has done mine for the past three years. Balanceofnature.com. Their fruits and veggies make sure to use discount code BALANCE. I was uh, reading a little uh, from Barry Goldwater's magnum opus from 1960-1961, Conscience of a Conservative, and showing that this fight against the left and the culture war was really always part of our greatest and our best leaders, be they, you know, your Reagans uh, or, you know, be they your... Ron DeSantis's or be they your Donald Trump's. It's the culture warriors that get it because they know what Daniel Moynihan said is eminently true. Culture is more important than politics. A lot of people like to quote Breitbart on a similar notion. It was originally with Daniel Patrick Moynihan. I don't care who you quoted. It's true either way. It's true <coughs> in both instances. But how seriously was Goldwater about this stuff? Very, very. I'm still in chapter one of his Conscience of a Conservative I'm reading to you, and it sounds like it could be right out of one of the monologues. He writes, the needs and desires of the human spirit 
reflect the superior side of man's nature and thus take precedence over his economic wants. Conservatism therefore looks upon the enhancement of man's spiritual nature as the primary concern of political philosophy. Liberals, on the other hand, in the name of concern for human beings, regard the satisfaction of economic wants as the dominant mission of society. They are, moreover, in a hurry so that their characteristic approach is to harness the society's political and economic forces into a collective effort to compel progress. In this approach, I believe they fight against nature. And he puts an exclamation point on it. How often in the last few weeks of my monologues have I dared to use the N-word and the leftist fight against it, the N-word being nature? How, how many times? Goldwater was onto this in the 60s, in the early 60s, with exclamation points. The warnings were there, as was the political philosophy. The memory isn't there anymore. That's our problem. We have too much amnesia and too much grafting. You know, there's this tendency, human tendency, it's, and it's everywhere and among everyone. There's this tendency um, to graft your own points of view onto something you esteem, though you may not have the full complement of understanding. I was, I was, uh, I was in an airport once. Many of you know I used to be chief of staff to Jack Kemp. I was in an airport once where uh, someone recognized me, and we were starting to for some other work, and we were talking politics, and he was playing this, you know, this game of. Um, you know this game of well, I you know I'm 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 a, I'm a social liberal and economic conservative. You know I, I I really like Jack Kemp, and I said the Jack Kemp who spoke at National Right to Life every year, the Jack Kemp who wrote op. He goes, oh no, Jack Kemp was bipartisan. I don't even know what that means. Was bipartisan? Well, he never registered as a Democrat. You mean he appealed to people of both parties? Good, you bet he did. He was like Reagan in that way. A lot of Democrats like Jack Kemp, but he didn't just speak about marginal tax cuts. Go back and read his speeches. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Yes, you bet there was. But why did he speak about that? What was the point of it? Was it for the sake of deficit reduction? Was it the sake of giving more money to the wealthy? No. You look at how he used that as part of an entire schema and plan to build up urban communities to give other people pieces of American, um, the American pie, and he connected it always and forever to issues having to do with race and issues having to do with life. You know, people tend to graft, and do, they do the same to Goldwater. They graft onto Goldwater their own views, and it's easy to do when people are in the rearview mirror, maybe when their careers have ended or their lives have passed. But, um, well... Let's just put it this way. I don't know a bigger argument on it than this. There is also a reason Barry Goldwater's speechwriter was Harry V. Jaffa. All right. So my point is don't abandon the field and don't turn on your own. The stakes are awfully high. And look at where the stakes are these days. Look at where the stakes are. That's the important thing about what Brown Jackson said this week with regard to women it's not that it's about moms and 40-year-olds or 50-year-olds or whatever. It's a fight that's about our children. It's a fight that's about our children. And if you doubt me, look at 
what Virginia was about and look at the books that those moms held up. They were children's books. Look at Ibrahim Kendi's big bestseller right now, Anti-Racist Baby. It's a child's book written in cartoon form. And look at what the ire in Florida is all about, five and six and seven-year-olds. It's not about women as women. It's about changing the nature of human beings as children for a lot of reasons. They aim at the children for a lot of reasons, which is precisely why if you think saving childhood is an important thing, if you think defending childhood is an important thing, if you think the notion of childhood is an important thing, you'll join this fight and you can call it a culture war or not. But if you do decide to call it a culture war that you're engaging in, don't be afraid. You didn't start it. You didn't start it. It wasn't your side that gave us the Warren court and started messing around with, with, with prayer and religion in schools and what parents could do to direct their children's education. It wasn't our side that did that. It was theirs. It wasn't our side that created a super legislature of nine robed masters to overturn laws throughout the 50 states that people were working out amongst themselves on the most serious and intimate of cultural matters wasn't our side that did that, and it wasn't our side that decided to start creating an identity politics where identity becomes identification by race and gender that translates into ideology. In other words, it wasn't our side that created Nuremberg ethics. It was theirs. Join the culture war and be proud of it. That's what I'm saying. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Um, I was just I, – I, during the break, I was going through more of this conscience of a conservative uh, um, from Barry Goldwater in 1960 and I, I just can't not give you a little more. I can't stop as we close out the hour. Um, it's <laughs> – wow. The first thing a conservative learns about man is that each member of the species is a unique creature. Man's most sacred possession is his individual soul, which has an immortal side but also a mortal one. The mortal side establishes his absolute differentness from every other human being. Only a philosophy that takes into account the essential differences between men and accordingly makes provision for developing the different potentialities of each man can be – can have any claim to be in accord with nature. Now, why am I bringing that up and why am I tying that back to something I'm going to talk to a couple guests in the next hour about, or at least one, Noah Rothman from Commentary. He had a piece on Brett Kavanaugh, and uh, we'll, we'll have him on the uh, show at the top of the hour in just a few moments. But one of the things he writes about in, uh, in, in one of his books is the problem of taking our new political, um, shall we say, um, uh, playing field, our, our new, our, our new, our, our new field of politics, and basing it not on individual rights, and certainly yes, obviously group rights, but making of immutable identity ideology. 
Think about what we have done and how far we have traveled from the notion that each human being is unique and should not be judged by anything other than their uniqueness as a human being. That's why they are entitled to an individual right after all because they are different and special. Think about what the left has done in trying to eradicate individual rights by pushing us into groups where identity does dictate ideology. That's what they're doing. That's why we're supposed to think of certain races as better and certain races as worse. That's why we fight critical race theory. That's why we fight the notion that there is something to be known about a human being based on something as accidental as the color of their skin, whatever the color of their skin is. Beware the ideology that is based on identity other than human being. Beware that ideology. It's the ideology of Stalin and Hitler.